Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of Karl Marx's 18th premiere of Louis Napoleon Reading Group series. Today is Thursday the 15th of October 2020 and I'm your host Tom O'Brien. We continue our discussion of the George Floyd protests that had just erupted across the US at the time of the recording. The Brumaire may even get a mention. If you like the show, perhaps you could become a patron. Patrons get an extra two episodes and two live streams, access to the Emancipation Network Discord, all for as little as $5 a month. And for the month of October, as a special bonus, seeing how Halloween is actually an Irish festival, which started on the hill of Tlochta, which is four miles from my house. All new patrons will get that most exclusive of items, the From Alpha to Omega commie badge. So pile in, folks. Okay, grift over. Let's rejoin the discussion. Let's talk a little bit about what I think could we you could see, but what I would worry about. One is I think, Tom, you're completely right, but what the military would probably do what it has done in other countries that have faced similar crises is it has gone into arbitration and has arrested the leadership of both sides. It will sometimes put a white ring hunter in, but often it doesn't. And it will try to establish social peace because it knows that the cost of an outright civil war is too high. Now, unfortunately, I mean, the weird thing in the United States, and our history is kind of unique here, we don't have a history of white wing coups doing that. We only have a civil war because the economic conditions were so were so out of rack and you had two competing factions within the economic, you know, within the economic sphere. You basically had a form of slaveholding capitalism that that was regressing into something else and a form of free labor capitalism. And there was no way for those two things to coexist in the same society. But if you look at like this as a political crisis, what you would normally see is the attempt of the political of the state to impose some kind of social norm, to co-opt some of those militias, and to to bring peace because most people are going to want it. But I will say this: I actually do think that as much as there are tons of grifters and left-wing, um, you know, socialist organization and like the NRA gun training is a joke, and I actually do think militia training is good and like it is unfortunate that most people have no experience with even policing level of arms like i should not be a person who is one of your more experienced people with weaponry around you i have no military experience yeah in in principle derek i agree but how do we express that in a way that doesn't go in the reactionary direction that left-wing groups and militia groups do like independently when you don't put them together. I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. If you were solely dominated by your fears of what's going to happen. We're talking about hopes here, right? So what, 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 what do we hope for precisely? What you would hope for was a totally recallable, uh, maybe even officers decided by training and sortition, not even by by, by merit. By merit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> frankly, no, I, I mean sort, sortition is a fine principle. Well, the thing is, you either believe that everyone can learn some of this stuff, or you don't. And if you don't, then you don't really think that society can be run without a class structure. 
Right. Like yeah. pretending you think every every cook can govern and then just being like, psych. Yeah, every cook can govern, but let's create a managerial class out of the most competent cooks so that we can uh, have a class of society. Uh, yeah. America's <laughs> top chef, new electoral <laughs> procedure. Don't you start Kyle with this chef bullshit. No, 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 no. That was very insightful. Going from every cook's every cook can govern to America's top chef is like the basic, you know, Leninist trajectory. Like when you actually try to implement this stuff. So I'm just asking a preemptive question. How do we stop America's top chef tendency from taking over? Well, I mean, we have to ask ourselves, like... Spit in the soup. Spit well, in the I soup. Think, I think it depends on the problem, doesn't it? Like, it uh, does, but let, let's actually... I want to I actually get us to look at the classical answers to this, because the classical answers to this are Burnham and Villafredo Pareto, who say that no matter what you do, you cannot have a classless society because you uh, you have an emergent elite because of the because of the distribution of skills and because of a lack of interest in most people because of the the amount of effort that has to be put into governing any society, which is why direct de democratic societies one are never actually you know like most people are excluded from democracy somehow usually because they're slaves and two even when that's not the case, those societies historically have been super unstable and only lasted about, you know, very few of them last more than two generations. But they were small, Derek, and they were surrounded by loads of empires, so they got their asses kicked. It's not... And I, and I mean, uh, like, it doesn't mean that we, you know, won't work in the future. <laughs> that's such a non-answer. Um, no, but uh, you said, like, no, I'm uh, they, they only lasted a short period in the past. But I mean... Yeah. I mean, there's no first principles to arrive at that conclusion. So actually, I mean, game theoretically, there are first principles to arrive from that conclusion. But then you have to take. Uh, you can use a selectorate theory. But, but I disagree with those first principles. Well, then good for you. I'm not saying. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying I believe them. I'm saying that you have to have a better answer than it'll happen in the future because you have no society, none. There is not a single society that operates in the way that communism describes its its goals. To operate on and even it requires this the temporary suspension of all other classes from society to do it now the difference between communism and as understood by marx as i clearly understand it and later deviations is like if you think the Goethe critique is imminent versus you know schematic you're still left with the fact that the transition is literally the assumption of radical democracy to demolish the state itself Communizers pick up on this when they talk about like emergent forms of socialization, like redistributing goods is socialization. It's what it is. But, you know, their models for that are either crisis based or primitive. So what would it look like if we had, say, a, a militia force that had some kind of recall, some kind of sortition, if we had actual accountability of leadership and also a way... Frankly, representative leadership, this is a principle that I'm beginning to come to. I don't think, I think representative leadership causes an elite to exist that becomes a new class inevitably. And I don't, and I don't think there's a way around that. So like you've given people special privileges by electing them to represent you. We have never come up with a foolproof method of recall that doesn't, you know, that, that is either consistent or involves in the civil war, 
Now, maybe under non-bourgeois conditions, some of these things change, but we have to spell out what that would mean. So we have to get out of the bourgeois conditions. Right. So that's that's a nice that's nice for later. But for now, seriously, what do we do? So okay. don't you think direct democracy on your phone would work? What do you no, think about that? I don't. Yeah. Because I, you still have to implement the direct democracy, which still requ- which requires either total democratization of skills, which does not exist under current conditions. Oh, that, I mean, I don't think that's going. That's. I do think voting could be a lot easier. Oh, yeah, I don't I, think, I mean, but yeah. I don't think it's possible to like democratize skills because, I mean, Did like you, you have some physics professor, she spends her entire life learning about nonlinear optics, and it takes her. What she wasted years. her life. She wasted she t- her life. <laughs> I mean, she spent her entire life learning. I mean, like it's you no, can't it, learn all think, everything. Yeah, I like, hope she but, did other stuff with her life yeah, too. I think like, that look the thing about right. Parry Khan's uh, work complexes and stuff like that. I think is pretty good kind of solution to this stuff i just want to say one thing we've, we've, we've come quite away on the podcast like we used to say like oh well what where is the party going to come from where are the party from and now now and now a couple of years later we're talking about you know how we design our militias i do think we could use cybernetic principles and making a more accountable militia structure. I think accountability there as a sort of like is going to be more important than prefiguring communism. But the thing is that I do worry about is all that transition stuff. Like, like how do we dismantle this? Like how do you dismantle people who have, you've given power when you're like, okay, now give it back without a struggle. And maybe, maybe you don't. I mean, but that does lead to like, well, you know, we have to have a cultural revolution every few years. Get rid of all, you know, it, it that exhausts society because it leads to like, I don't know, long term periodic bloodbaths. So, like, I mean, to like, be to be fair, I'm only in favor of short term ones. Yeah, well, I mean, to be favor, like, to be honest about high period Stalinism for a second, that was the theory of the purge. Yeah. Like. Yeah. 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 That, no, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a there's a form of system in cybernetics that describes what you're talking about there, Derek, which is one that oscillates periodically between one pole and the other. And it's not a stable system. It's not a viable system. We, we can't have that kind of system and expect it to last. No, I'm normally all screaming about how we should shoot the engineer. Sorry, Poya. But um, <laughs> I'm not an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> not, no, don't shoot the engineer. engineer. It's just, no, I'm not an no. engineer. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you really have become a Stalinist. <laughs> no. No, it's like, no, 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 I, I, I work in McDonald's. <laughs> no, no, you're mixing me up with another fella. It just reminds me of that. It reminds me of that mathematician, that mathematician in the Cultural Revolution who saved his life by finding Marx's mathematical manuscripts and being like, <laughs> no, 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 like my my work is totally Marxist. What are you talking about? That's awesome. I'd be interested what, what to read those. Anybody what want to hear the worst math joke of all time? We yes. Okay. What do you get if you cross an elephant and a cheetah? What? Elephant cheetah cosine theta. (laughs) 
And okay, another one. Last one for you. What do you get? What do you get if you cross a bank manager and a mountaineer? What? Un undefined because a mountaineer is a scaler. <laughs> what is the bank manager? Anybody get that one? No. No. Yeah, I got it. But what is the bank manager? Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry. Oh, like I just kills the entire stream. Sorry, I just killed the entire stream. <laughs> like you uh, take the cross product? Yeah, dot products. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Booyah! Don't don't analyze them too much. Don't analyze okay, them too much. Okay. Let Let's go. Uh, what we got? Right. What have we not talked about? What have we not talked about? Uh, we haven't talked about the 18th Dude. Brumaire. <laughs> riots today. All right, I'm down. So do um, we see Trump is Louis Napoleon? Is he going to kill, like, I don't know. How, how many people did Louis Napoleon kill in the riots? Like a shit ton, right? Oh, God. Uh, Louis, Louis Napoleon in which riots? Because there wasn't big riots with him, was there? When are you talking about, Derek? What year? Let me see. I thought that that the you know the killing was done before he was elected. The June days he was elected in December, eighteen forty eight, and there was no major grape shot under his command. Yeah, Am I think right? you're right. So, so maybe at the start of eighteen seventy, was he around in the Paris Commune? Was he still nearly there? No, he he had been captured and imprisoned at that point. He wasn't in charge of the the suppression of the Commune. The June days. Over 10,000 killed or injured, 4,000 deported to Algeria. That's Shangarnier. Uh, yeah, that's not Louis Napoleon. But, you know, that that is the scale of violence that was existing at that time. So who's our, like, if Trump is our Shangarnier and not our no, no. Louis Napoleon? No, Shangarnier was the, the, was the was a general. So yeah. it would have been like Adolf Thiers or somebody like that was Trump. You know, like so, who is Trump's general? Is the question. Well, it would. Well, it's the thing is, <laughs> Trump is kind of kind of messed with the army in that he keeps on putting political functionaries on over military people, and that's another thing that complicates this greatly, because you know, I like Mad Dog Mateus would probably coup him. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, this um, is totally. This is like slightly unrelated, but you were talking about the job complexes. Don't you think it would be a little inefficient? Because you would have yeah. to educate. Yeah, because you would need like a lot of education for like a lot of people. Right. Well, you know, you not everybody but, like the thing is, you not everybody is like you do seventy percent maybe of one of your skills and thirty percent of a lower one. You're still getting trained to do your seventy percent. And also, like, it's not like right. capitalism is efficient in training people. No, that's true. In yeah. fact, in fact, like that is why public education is such a mess. It's because capitalism is really inefficient and really dependent on free writing on its education system, but then creates all these complexes for administrative capture that are a nightmare. Because, hey, Esri, how do we, well, we're also thinking about this? How do we do a bureaucratic drift in the transition period? Because that's real. Well, like, you just don't want it to be around for very long. <laughs> Like, no, you have to know what you're getting problem. into. It. I think you need to know your plan. You need to have a plan for what it is. You say you have a 10-year plan. We're going to get all our fucking input-output tables built. We're going to rearrange. We're going to get point-to-point -point systems working all over the place. We've got 10 years to do it, and we've got to do it. And then it's turned on, and that's the fucking end of it, lads. I, you know, I think you do need stuff like that. You can't just be going into it like the goddamn, uh, like the goddamn uh, Russians did. Like we did that one, Kyle. Remember, like some of the shit they were talking about when we did that uh, crossover one about that yeah. paper. Yeah, yeah. They had no plan. They had nothing. 
did no idea what what <laughs> yeah, planning was about. Yeah, nothing at all. Yeah, literally nothing. But, uh, I mean, we learned quite a lot from that, though. Yeah, we learned how to collapse a society into an even more barbaric form of capitalism than previously existed. But no, but I mean, like about planning. Like uh, we learned, like you know, what were the problems with. Bit of an expensive lesson, Puya. Bit of an expensive lesson. <laughs> well, I mean, like... By that logic, Puya, they could have given up in around 1936 when all the maths was sorted. And right. then just went back to capitalism. Honestly, I mean, one of the greatest tragedies of the Soviet Union, aside from everything, is that, like, it gave capitalism cybernetics, which is this one real benefit in planning that came out of it. I mean, but it, it tried to, like, annihilate it. Right, like, like cybernetics had to escape from the dialecticians. Oh God! I mean, like emergent really? systems theory. Yeah, that's true. And you know what's funny is like capitalists realize that they can make some trade-offs with each other in the state and actually and actually drop some competition to get the benefits from it. Although I don't think they do it now. Right. So mm-hmm. like the like the the actual dialectical science like was expressed in bourgeois terms <laughs> because the Marxists chased it away. So, well, yeah, I mean, I think if you did the, like, sweezy monopoly capital solution to these problems, you'd be kind of reconciling those two things, right? You'd have capitalism but with that cybernetic tone that that uh, you were talking yeah. about there. Well, that, that's yeah. the what the Western Marxists have, you know, have always tried to do some variant of, to, you know, to varying degrees of success. Has anybody seen this? I read uh, this one by Yara Hindala. We need to assimilate the professional dangers of power by Christian Rakowski. No, I need to read it. Thank you. Thank you, Yara. Thank you very Uh, much. Thanks. We will take that on. I was actually just originally, we got off in this thing about the militias. I was actually thinking one of the things we have to think about, though, is dealing with interclass tensions in an effective way, because that's part of why militias tend to go right wing. The other thing I think we have to insist on is we really do got to get back to this like, hey, if you're a, if you're a state socialist who sees the state as a class neutral organ, you're a traitor. Like, it's like, it's like, <laughs> like, like you are a traitor. Always with the tact and grace, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> like the DSA types, or just the the social democrats, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like the ones that actually have parties in countries where they have some chance at ruling. Yeah. It, it, it is like Canada. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can exactly. participate in elections and still like, I mean, honestly, tactically and still realize that like the state is utterly your enemy. But if you start believing that's your method of reform, like that's where, that seems to be where the problem is. Yeah. Like, I don't think you're a traitor just for like, well, I mean, like everyone cites Lenin, but Lenin, like, tactically took the, the Bolsheviks tactically took part in elections. It's the Yeah, whole, I don't think it's a problem. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem. So like I'm not even saying like oh all DSA members need to be shot or something insane like that. But the, <laughs> but, but the Bolsheviks we're, they ran they ran out of context. Gonna... They ran leftists in elections. Yeah. Yeah, but we don't we're not we're not running leftists in elections. No. We we don't <laughs> we, we live in a place where like the, the other thing we have to think about the Bolsheviks, they weren't in a fucking bourgeois society. We are. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, probably... uh, the conversations between the German Marxists and the Russian Marxists about revolutions right around the time of the Russian Revolution are totally fucking fascinating. Like, well, I think Russia is like was probably very uneven. Probably Moscow and uh, Saint Petersburg true. were very developed. Or quite developed, at least. But you couldn't you couldn't call that a a bourgeois society. No, it, it wasn't. was it wasn't a bourgeois society. It had a bourgeoisie. It had capitalist production that was being encouraged by the state. But it wasn't a bourgeois society. Like no more than the than Ireland was a bourgeois society when they had the revolution. It was the peasants. Like both my parents were both came from peasant farmers. You know, everybody was a peasant farmer or a worker on a farm. That's just the reality of it. It was like 80, 90 percent like that. Um, but I think Russia, it has quite a lot of air. It's quite a big country. Yeah, it's all empty. It's just trees. <laughs> yeah. Like, so probably in a certain section of it, it was, you know, more or less bourgeois society. A friend of mine used to used to fly from uh, from Japan to Dublin. And he would go sometimes the Siberia route. You could go two ways. You could go via, I think, L.A. And then you could go via, like, over Siberia. And he said, like, for nine hours, he was looking out the plane at night and there was no lights. I, w- I would love to go to West Russia one day. That's how big. <laughs> East Russia. Oh, yeah, East. Sorry, I get him confused. Well, I mean, <laughs> West and East. I, I, we have to be careful, though. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and slap down the, the Banerjee, like, criterion. Like in a in a hybrid society, you, you you look at the predominant form, and the predominant form of organization in Russia was a collective peasantry that had the development of 14th century England. That's yeah. pretty much yeah. like not, and and that was true. Like the conditions on the ground in in Russia were again closer to that of like first revolutionary France. There was a bourgeoisie. There was some industrial production. But there was not a lot of it. The the proletariat was all with. But you know, all the all the major communist societies came out of coalitions between like between massive peasant bases, which Bukharin and Trotsky used to argue about how you handled that because you needed the petty proprietors involved because they were more of the society than the than the proletariat. I mean that—that's what those debates are about. But I mean, it's fair to say that's that's not the situation we're facing now. So, like, when I bring this stuff up now, I'm saying like we can't use that as a model at all. Only partially as a model because, like, the other thing I keep on hearing about like is we need like revolutionary defeatism, and I'm like, against what? Against whom? Where? Like, sure, it's a stance to take. Coronavirus, climate change. Yeah, we need revolutionary defeatism against terrorism. Like, <laughs> don't forget ISIS. ISIS, they're coming back. <laughs> but I think like those debates, they're like they kind of homogenize it. But you know, you want to be materialist, or you know, you look at what's the phys- you know the physical development, and yeah, you, it's quite uneven. It's so uneven that you can't that you cannot say. That even in Moscow, the predominant form of social life was capitalist, even though it was clearly developing rapidly. Even in Moscow, yeah, like the like Vita was doing all kinds of state-led capitalist development, but 
it, it wasn't a capitalist society. It just wasn't. It's all kicking off now again. Well, I think in, it depends um... on where you are, is what I'm saying. You had peasant sections, and you also had... Uh... Let's you know, get away like, from uh, talking about. Let's take it okay, away from yeah. talking about Russia. Come on, man. And I mean, Jesus we, Christ! We, we should, something we happened should, in America. I'm just looking at Twitter now. We this. should do a mode of production reading at some point because this is a good question for a time when there's not riots. Like, like in you Austin, know, you go to Kenya. You know, there's in the cities. You know, it's capitalist, and in the outside, or it's non-capitalist. Yeah, but it, that's not where the revolution. If the revolution starts there, it's not going to end up working. Is the point, Puya? Because it'll get you get crushed i mean it really it really depends if if there's like anyway i I, we could we could talk about this all day let's just move on we'll talk about production and world revolution so another time so here's the thing we think these riots have a class character i think that's something i i don't think though class character equals like they are done for explicitly socialist reasons you know not wanting police murder is like a kind of humanist reason and in like in an expanded socialist political program you're there's a there's a de facto sympathy for that like we shouldn't tolerate these like reactionary formations in bourgeois society that perpetuate continuously reconstruct and re- perpetuate historical injustices and like you know racial differentials and like you know fucking murdering and also just police murder in general like just people getting murdered in the streets by you know cops yeah, I mean, even in the worst stages of the, of the God, I'm going to sound like a tanky right now, but I don't, I don't mean it that way. But um, even in the worst stages of like social violence in Russia, like they still at least gave you a show trial. So like, like, and it wasn't in the street. That's that is different. That is that's something else. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you guys on that, but I also think like. I don't like I am all about this. Like I'm not one of these people like oh, it's not the revolution, so we you know. But I mean as I pointed out, like bread riots were crucial. Like I, I was arguing with, with Douglas Lane and I was like, no, it's not the revolution, but bread riots were crucial to the Mensheviks and Bolsheviks being able to do anything. Like Absolutely. Like, like bread riots and rent riots are huge instigating factors in any kind of like radicalization. Anti-police riots are part of that, too. The, the thing is, with, with the police riots, is if you lose the focus on the state as a class organ, if we lose that narrative, it is easy for someone to use the state to like basically say, hey, our monopoly violence arm, because you know that's really what the state is. We're going to calm it down for a little while. You guys can just chill. We're going to reinstate some kind of social peace. We can all get integrated together. Like, didn't we get that after Ferguson? Mm-hmm. Is that going to work again? It like, wouldn't, work. wouldn't it have to be, like, so much more extreme than the, like, bureaucratic clusterfuck no, of American politics would allow? Martial law. Like, historically, that's what this... Historically speaking, in other societies, and America is somewhat exceptional in this, and as much as I talk about how Amer- there is no... Like, American exceptionalism is bullshit. It is somewhat exceptional at this, as is Canada, as is the UK. But, like, this is when martial law kicks in. That's what normally happens. I've lived through it. Yeah. Is this where, like, things have just finally broken to the point where, like, like to restore social peace, we have to take the gloves off? Like, not us take the gloves off, but them. 
Yeah, like, but the thing is, like, and 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 if socialists start getting all, oh, FDR is so awesome. We need, we just need a new deal, and and all that apo- apologia, like that you saw, like you know, all that fucking like FDR apologia shit. That's not going to fly, and we're going to be part of, like, we're going to be seen as part of the elite class that is the enemy. By the very people we would want to be on our side. Yeah, then then they'd be they'd be right. They'd be right. Yeah, then no, absolutely, they'd be right. News just in: Attorney General William Barr announces there's a federal crime to cross state lines or use interstate facilities to incite or participate in violent writing. Are they going to shut down all the different states? Block off the different states. They wouldn't even do it for fucking coronavirus. Yeah, 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 seriously. (laughs) No, yeah, that's, you know, that would have been more proportionate to the response that you're getting elsewhere. Like, Yeah, I think China did that. Is there a uh, constitutional right to uh, freedom of mobility in America? No, but also... Because we have that in Canada. It's it's in the Constitution. That's why I'm asking. A lot detail. No, okay. <laughs> well, we do ha- we do have a freedom against internal passports, like that's explicit. But okay, yeah, that no, that's what I was kind of talking about. Yeah, but after two thousand six, and really going all the way back to the Enforcement Acts, no, the states can temporarily shut their borders in terms of emergency powers because it's not an explicit constitutional amendment. But hell, after the Patriot Act, even explicit constitutional amendments don't matter because you can be imprisoned indefinitely without charge. Right, right. They've just not done it. Like, we have not seen those as much as, like, both liberals and libertarians have been screaming for, you know, 20 years about those provisions. Everyone's relied off the fact they've never actually used them. That there's social norms that have stopped those things from being invoked. Now... I think if Trump uses him for, you know, for anything other than this, you know, he's done. But and he's probably done anyway, frankly. I mean, you like this is this is probably on the pay grade of a former real estate man. What you got? Like Well, okay, so if that's true, the only way out is a coup, right? That like because what are you going to do like through the legislative electoral organs, how the fuck do you get Trump out other than a coup? Like, sorry, like go by going outside of them. You you really don't. I mean, what what would likely happen is what's probably happening right now in ways we don't understand is the quote unquote deep state. But a lot of the state apparatus is probably assuming a lot more fu- uh, functions than it normally does. But the the issue is Republicans have used negative state power for so long. And by that, I mean, they just don't fill positions that all these things are not automatable, but it's also beyond Trump's pay grade. And it's all coming to a head now. Yeah. We've, we've been talking about this extensively in the beer reading group, like what specific functions of the U S state have atrophied and why Trump is such a problem given the context that he's in. So what do we do with that? I mean, like we, what I'm saying, like, if you start putting political functionaries in the military, that's a problem. Like, even, even for example, like, during the neoconservative years, they really didn't do that. Yeah, I think the, the closest thing you got was, like, Rumsfeld's weird business reorg of the military, right? Right. 
But so like what kind of positions exactly are you talking about when you say that Trump's been filling positions with political functionaries? Well, he's been collapsing like in the military, he's been collapsing various chairs into one another into sub into sub deputy appointments. He has also not felt like like most of the health human human services in a lot of the State Department are actually run by sub deputies right now. And that's been perpetual. So the only thing he's been filling is the judiciary. And that's that's because his backers understand that's super important. But why is he not filling them, do you think? Is it to weaken them, like doing a Bonaparte and put in like just leave temporary weirdos in there so they don't have a, a, an institutional power? Correct. And I mean, some of that is like the whole deep state paranoia stuff. But some of that is is like, weirdly, this is why I would always argue with the anti-politicos. Weirdly, like this outsider business person thinks you run something by business toadyism, which will not work in a, a system that's complicated. You can do that when you're just hawking, you know, real estate. You can't do that. Well, let's let's be honest. Trump was a failure in that world as well. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, we used to use Trump as, like, I remember before before he became an entertainment figure that we used him as, like, the sign of a failed businessman. They actually did. I remember that. He was, like, famous for being the world's most famous bankrupt. He genuinely was. Are, are we saying, then, that the military has been so atrophied, it doesn't even have the capacity to do a coup and substitute itself for the normal administration of society. Well, it's never had to do it. And while, no, I don't think it actually <laughs> has, but like it's technical leadership, probably you would have to, it would actually have to come from slightly lower than top brass. Yeah, um, so an officer's coup kind of thing. Yes. Like they had in Japan. Correct. How, how much social support would something like that get? And could it no. overcome... The hit, like, because I actually think there is some, there's some legitimacy to this, you know, emphasis on the shift to hegemony over like formal domination and having like, you know, cultural practices where the rule of, of law is embedded to an extent. I think, yeah, I think that would like violate a lot of the actual <laughs> things that keep capitalism together in America in a, in a way that would be disruptive. But we've already seen that. One of the things we've been frustrated with liberals about is how they've been complaining about norms. But one of their one of their points that is actually fair is half of all this worked because of norms that were unstated. And we've only had one other crisis where those norms were violated. And they were violated by our semi-voter partist figure of FDR and where they had to go and make those norms legal. But it's in no one's interest now to make those norms legal. And also, we don't live in a time where Congress like, sees its democratic functioning as even necessary, which is ironic, right? One of the ironies, and this, this is one of the but things. It's, it's necessary, Derek, that it doesn't work. Right. But one of the ironies now of the 60s is the progressive reform movements of the 60s led to the democratization of a lot of elements of the legislative state, which has led to, to me, strategic and deliberate obfuscation of those positions. And so what I mean by that, like you have seen the deliberate abnegation of, of positive power from Congress over and over and over again because it needs mm -hmm. so much money to maintain its seat if anyone actually notices what it's doing that 
you have two things that are going on. You have you have capture by donors, which want a status quo maintained, and you have keep your damn head down on the medium level because you need to be famous nationally and you need to be loved locally. But if you do anything that gets you in the interim, you're likely to get headhunted out of out of your position. And we've had these, you know, we debated about this, and it doesn't work the same way as it does in parliamentary systems, but we have had increasing rules capture in the Senate. Um, so, like, positions that were not as, like, Mitch McConnell has more power than, say, like, prior heads of the Senate. And that's mm-hmm. why the Senate has taken on in such, a, such a particularly reactionary mode right now. I mean, one of the interesting things about, about United States politics, and you mentioned it with the judiciary, but it's also actually been with the Senate is prior to 2012, those institutions were actually checks on temporary political influences and the popular real, which tended conservative, even if they didn't have majority backing because of the way we divide up the country. That has stopped now. So it's concentrations of power. But interestingly, those concentrations of power are almost purely negative. No one can do anything and no one wants to risk doing yeah. anything. It, it reminds me of like the degeneration of the Han state in China into like that sort of um, regional aristocratic control. Like the, 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 the influences of the members of the elite towards the state were just negative. How what do people think about like all the stuff that's going on about how bad the a kind of operational management of the two countries that have had most outsourcing of production like the UK and America that they're it's like that they're all their politicians and their upper managerial class are kind of become like people who are specialized in managing PR for their price share and buybacks and all this stuff. And they, they, they lack kind of core competency in in actual old-fashioned managerial engineering type skills. Right. I actually think there's a lot of truth to that. But I would actually say it's it's not just in the United States and, and the UK. Like the, the, the shift in, say, the PRC from the red engineers into the red economist and now into the red lawyers – Mm-hmm. The same shift you see in the United States over the same period of time. So this idea that we live in an, an attention economy that's largely controlled by IP and PR has, to me, obscured both the necessary skills of, I don't know, actually running things, but also like the relationship to the commodity form. I mean, the, the amount of people who think that the U.S. is not productive like makes me laugh because it's still the second largest productive you know manufacturer on the in the world but all the old capitalist economies have moved away from that and hit it through automation i mean are through hyper specialization are through finishing there's not the skills base but there doesn't seem to be the skills based anywhere i mean like one of the things about this the, about the comparison to the han that gets uh, kyle that i think you're apt on but you see similar patterns in China, I mean, not in China, in Russia, where it is worse. So right. Russia has actually just farmed out most of its administration of COVID to its governors. And that's just led to massive capital capture by the governing things and large resistance. And so you have a state with a very strong military, but no real economy at all. 
responding to this. And so, like, I'm beginning to think, like, like this is not just a U.S.-centric problem. Like, this is – something's happening with the elites, the, the managers and capital. And the, and the other thing we got to remember is, like, bourgeois ownership and our form of capitalism is diffuse in a way that, like – it's very hard to know who the capitalists really fucking are. It's it is a, like capital in under corporate under corporate monopoly capital is sort of collectively owned in a way that was not legally possible in Germany and still isn't legally possible in Germany and in you know any of the societies in the early 20th century. Like we really are like I I don't want to sound like I'm agreeing with James Burnham but we really are dealing with like not just a crisis of management, but like a real degeneration of management. Like these people aren't good at being fucking capitalist. Well, if, if you can't, if that's too reactionary to say, then you just can't like describe the situation. Like Marxists have to just like, you know, deal with the empirical stuff. And unfortunately, listen, we, like some of Marxism's hangups with reactionary thought is the way that it applies class analysis to leftists and tries to generate resentment against leftists. So, I mean, that's understandable and makes sense, but like also class analysis, you have to deal with like, cla- you know, class in full. And like something I was thinking about earlier is, you know, how long does a transitional regime have to last? Or like, wouldn't it be kind of like the things in Paracon that were brought up, I think Puya brought it up was, uh, and participatory economics is that like, you know, there's a lot of resources that go, goes into training but like, what would it mean to overcome like a bunch of the sort of skills divisions or whatever that you see in society, especially when specialization seems, it's just like part of engaging with certain disciplines. You're talking about some kind of big redistributive skill effort. And it, it would, it's like one of the hardest forms of class to break, even in concept. Like, <laughs> Right, right. But I, I, I guess, you know, I think what we could take away from this discussion is that yes, specialization is pervasive, but it's also kind of rotting. The tendency isn't right now towards ever greater degrees of specialization as like a drive towards greater productive capacity. Like that is happening, but it seems like it's, it's kind of like, the whole thing is stalled out in a sense. I kind of think specialization is increasing because... I mean, I, I'm not saying it's it's not increasing. I, I'm saying that there's... Relative to sort of like its early gains, there's something degenerative about the way it's happening. Well, entropy is a thing. This what do you is, mean by that? He means that entropy is a, a thing. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I mean that like if capitalism is approaching a world totality... Really, the idea that it can literally progress forever and this turn into something else ignores the fact that entropy is a possibility. And that entropy has always been expressed in Marxism as the tendency, of the law of the tendency of the rate of profit to fall. The profit will fall, but there are chronovarian tendencies to do it because there's ways to expand and to play variable capital against each other. But there is a point where that's not super productive anymore. There is things like you know, diminishing returns and increasingly bound choices and 
like choices made in the past have reflections in the future in ways that are more specialized in the broad hammer of Marxist analysis has generally dealt with. This is why we always talk about Erickle and Wright. Like the broad, you know, I, I don't I actually take opposite conclusions from Owen Wright about what this means, but like the idea that increasingly domination plays a role in most people's experience of the economy. And you can even see that in the way that prof, the, the areas of the economy that appear profitable in the United States are in fucking IP. They're rentier. That rentier property is not only not productive, it's also highly, highly dependent on a coercive state. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Puya. I was going to say... Uh... Don't bring it back to entropy. Don't bring it oh, back yeah, to entropy. Oh, yeah, I was about to. <laughs> I was going to be like... I, was gonna be like, I, I fucking knew it. I was like, I can, I can explain that like so well right now, if you guys... <laughs> okay, let, let, let's move it on. Kyle, you were going to say something before. Yeah, well. well, I was just going to say to sort of like try to sum up our conversation here. It sounds like, you know, given this crisis situation we're in right now, one would expect there to be martial law. One would expect the military to reestablish order based on sort of comparative political analysis and historical analysis of what happens in these situations. However, there is in all quarters of American society, a degeneration of capacities and organization such that we're kind of looking at the void. Like there is no clear way forward here. No one has a concentration of mission and capacities such that they can obviously seize control of this crisis. And that includes the proletariat, that includes Congress, that includes the judiciary, that includes the capitalists, that includes the petty bourgeoisie. Everybody is in a kind of degenerated state and operating on limited capacities. Is, is that kind of where we're at? It seems that way. And the only historical analogy I can think of in the modern times of something like this is Weimar. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know that makes a lot of sense. Because of because of the the way the Versailles settlement shook out, even the strongest aspects of German society were rendered atrophied and, and, and weak. I mean, that's really incredible that you have a long period of more or less peacetime for America, just kind of business as usual, leading to that degree of chaos. Well, I mean, you have a non-competitive hegemonic closed system. Like, like, and right. the thing is, the, the examples we can think of this are all pre-modern. Like, like I say it's analogous to Weimar, but Weimar is not, like Germany was not actually the dominant global power. It was just the most developed, not dominant global power. So. Yeah, non-empire. Right. The other thing is similar trends seem to be happening in India, Brazil, even China, you don't see like they're all following similar trends and all similarly farcical. Yeah, and the reason why I think like New Zealand is standing out so much right now 
isn't because their performance is so incredible. It's it's just it's bucking the trend to some degree, a, a trend that you can see in all the other countries around the world. I mean, you know what? All the competent countries right now are tiny island nations with, with rel- that are also relatively not that contributing to the larger world economy. Like, are you right. saying New Zealand doesn't produce value? <laughs> it produces goddamn sheep. Let's be honest. And you leave New Zealand out of this. Like you're, none of these are cores of the capitalist circuit. No, like, absolutely. Vietnam's not. You look at capital in New Zealand, and it's largely Australian. Right. But also, New Zealand is essentially still like a, it's a settler colonial place, and it's still people who like it's like kind of like Ireland, to be honest, in a different way. But it's been like if people aren't actually a farmer, their parents probably were. Well, Taiwan is settler colonial too. I mean, yeah, that- that's right. That's right. No, you're right, Tom. That's that's very true. And so here, now that we've got the, way down the the rabbit hole, let's pull so- it back up. So what? What, what do you want to say? Aren't pessimistic enough? Is that what we're getting at? Like, is that where we're at? Like, what's not pessimistic enough? <laughs> and, you know, like their whole because communization is based on like communization emerging from breakdown. I mean, I know right. there are other readings, but that's the strong implication of like theory communist and even Duvet. Well, that's um, I was yeah, literally something stated by someone in one of these like communization meetings, there's a story that somebody tells that, or a story that one of the Antifada people, excuse me, Antifada people tell about a communizer just kind of interrupting a dinner by saying, the revolution will be terrible. There'll be like, there'll be mass death and, you know, 30 years of primitive surgeries and stuff like this. And just (laughs) sounded like uh, Warner Herzog or something like describing (laughs) like, you know, a carnival of death or something. So, yeah, the element is definitely there. <laughs> oh, fuck. I was going to say something like, like let, if we pull back away from it, maybe we're all gone really doomery or something. But it's like, well, you know, I, don't, I, don't I, I so. have my doomer fame. I have my doomer fame, so I try and get away from it. So it's like... I, I don't think so. I think I think this is the result of dealing with the historical record of using the tools of, of analytical social science and finding that... And, you know, kind of being empirically sensitive to what's around you and finding that people don't like open conflict. That only really happens when things get really bad, (laughs) like that there could be open conflict and like a social, an open conflict with social legs, you know, that would end up in anything like a communist revolution. But like... but but wait a second now. I used to say this to Derek, and Derek would say, actually, no, the historical evidence is saying that it's not correlated with fucking revolutionary action. It isn't. It's ca- but, like... So why are we getting so carried away well, here tonight then? Well, it, but it's, it's, it's not necessarily like correlated one-to-one, but when you do see anything like that, it usually does come from that situation. It's not the, it's not the predominant way that it unfolds, though. That's well, okay. kind of the problem then. thing is that all the communist revolutions we've ever seen have never been economic. They've all been in the context of world war. That is just, you know. And- but, like, but also, Derek, like McNair definitely makes the case and he thinks that World War I was the, was the choice of the capitalists to not have the civil war against the proletariat, you know, as a way of cleaning them out. Like, you can't even take the world wars necessarily that much out of the class war. 
Yeah, you can't really like set up like the imperialist, like kind of inter-imperialist conflict that leads to World War One without understanding or misunderstanding, but having some theory of the economics behind it. Like, I guess, like you could tell the story as a bunch of like Hegelian great heads in conflict, but you miss out on a great deal. Well, my my only point is like all this stuff might be necessary for a communist revolution or whatever. It's not sufficient. But it's it's not, not how history way works. Not sufficient, and historically speaking, it tends to tip right wing. Our examples of this in the past are Cadillo forms, military governments, total disintegration, subsumption by another major power, which is how Britain really avoided it. That's what happens. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the forms and the forms of you know, it's looking good for Canada, Kyle. It's looking good for Canada. And the. <laughs> <laughs> and the forms of communist revolution that you know that do take hold are the especially reactionary kind for the most part. So yeah, it's it's not like a pretty record. What, what, what are the chances of for revolution? Like, is it not, does it, is it going to look very different? Or are we talking about something like a very different kind of phenomenon? Is, is it related at all? Revolution is it? I think the chances for revolution in the United States are getting higher and higher. But yeah. being our revolution, I don't know. What Bernie Sanders? Yeah, no. our revolution, baby. Our revolution. No, no, no. I think yeah, what, what Derek means is you know. I know. I'm joking. I, uh, mean, I mean, a real establishment of another elite class. I mean, like. That, yeah, that's what will likely happen. But getting it back a bit away from all this crazy revolution talk, there is also the class compromise, which is very much a part of the bourgeois plans. So, what is the class compromise? Who who is does it, it come from? Is is the class compromise part of the bourgeois plans? Because I sure as shit haven't been hearing that from the bourgeoisie. It was like fifty years ago. No, I mean, like they, in times of crisis, they put it out of their hat. Like that's what Bonapartism and fascism and all that is—is is like a class yeah, yeah. switch where the yeah, yeah, yeah. sides. But the thing is, who the fuck are they going to use? What class compromise is there? Like they, they- we, we cut you a check. Isn't that isn't that good enough? We cut you a two thousand dollar a month for a yeah, check for a while. The Yang Gang. The Yang Gang is 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 the the new bone of No, I mean <laughs> Yang should run again. After I think MMT as a positive as a positive electoral pr- uh, platform is literally a class compromise position. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And like, but and the, there are elements of capitalists that are willing to play it, but most of them don't seem being willing to right now. Like. They're willing to have total – like, this is what I don't understand. Even a libertarian for Dominion was like, oh, my God. They're literally willing to let two cities burn and things degenerate towards what looks to be informal guerrilla civil war to not do anything. That's weird. That's that's what I see out of the bourgeoisie right now. Yeah, but, like, things change. The, the class pro- – you know, as their positions change, their offer will change. They're not – it's not static – even even if they're being inept up to now, it's not a static thing. So, yeah. To be fair, we're seeing that from the bourgeois representatives. We're not actually seeing much from the bourgeoisie at all. Like if Bill Gates and 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 Bezos and stuff start stepping in, in a real way, like they probably would step in towards a class compromise. Of course they will. And if we get chipped, we get chipped for uh, our coronavirus, so we're not standing too close to each other. That'll be good. Anybody? Who's going to get chipped? 
I hated to side with the libertarians, but I have been somewhat worried about about the progressive use of this to for real social control. They're not totally out. They're gored about that. Oh, yeah, they're right. Yeah. They're right. They're definitely right about that. Look, like I could see Gates kind of getting some of his buddies together and trying to sort this shit out with the the failure, the abject failure of the Bloomberg campaign. I don't know. Like, I think he's cautious about doing that because he knows it might not work. Like, it might not be an easy win. It might be something that kind of falls apart. Like, Bezos, I honestly don't think is the guy. He's rich as hell, but I don't think he's the guy. Uh, Trump. Maybe Trump gives his billions away. What information would they even get? That, like, they can't just get through your cell phone? Or health records? Yeah. It's yeah. A- you know, like, uh, you know, I'm sure you go on Google. They know your location. No one's really coordinating all that for anything other than advertisement. And that will change. I know, like, I know there's a lot of Marks who are engineer brainy who really don't have problems with total social control. But, um... (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, like... I mean, like, why wouldn't it want to, like, chip you and, like, you can have a cell phone? We're joking, because that's a conspiracy theory on the right right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, that's what Uh, I think whenever I see it. I'm like... Why would they even want to? Like, I have a cell phone. Like, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, like, you get all the information. You need. Yeah, right. I pretty much give it to you for free. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, no, what I'm more worried about, actually, is for the social control is not that. I'm not. I'm worried about it being utilized in a for policy in a real way and being justified. I don't care about people collecting it. But my other thing is like when we think about the bourgeoisie right now. All the figures we can think about are actually not on the side of the state, but they must be. Like yeah. they're they're superficially distancing themselves from the state. And in fact, one of the weird things about the right wing dialogue right now is like they hate the people we should hate. Mm-hmm. They actually do hate the bourgeoisie, but they have these wild ass conspiracy theories. Whereas the people who are supposedly adjacent to us liberals fucking love them. Yeah. So one thing we haven't mentioned yet, I'm amazed we haven't mentioned it unless I totally spaced out, was that it's quite likely we're going to get like a false flag terrorist attack or something like that now in this, if it goes apeshit. What will we see? Like, do you not think it's likely that they'll they'll stage something like if it, if it gets towards what all you guys are talking about, guys and girls, we're talking about like, you know, it being... Uh, revolutionary or proto-revolutionary are we not going to see like the state doing false flag we may be seeing independent the thing is i don't think the state will have to i think right now we have so many cucked reactionaries who would do it like like but for example that agent provocateur thing who was likely like cop not not a cop or but not a cop you know an operator under cop orders a co-intelpro just doing that shit on their own yeah Autonomous cops. <laughs> Copunization theory. You know, just people that have the functional character. No, I mean, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's worth thinking about how like like Colin Tile Pro for the two thousand and twenties. You know what I mean? Like it will be a thing. It is a thing. Well, I mean, it is a thing, but I don't know if you ever read the the handbook for like 
I forget if it is the old FBI like handbook for sabotaging like, you know, revolutionary groups and, and peace groups and stuff. It just has this list of stuff that I see all the time that like left milieu sort of like <laughs> autonomously reproduce because of the sort of, I don't know, music scene kind of like literature scene kind of dynamics of yeah. the of, uh, of the left. Like it just produces this like purpose, purposeful stupidity. When I studied COINTELPRO, one of the things I learned was that except for the Panthers, the COINTELPRO didn't have to do anything except things we were already doing. And <laughs> they just had to they just had to boost the signal on right. All right. they did. It's like the changelings from Deep Space Nine. They just try to bring out the more <laughs> most paranoid instincts in your own like that are already present in the society. You know, they they cultivate and amplify those voices to destabilize it. Check out Jumpsuit Utopia, by the way. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, Tom, I, I, I basically agree with what's being said. Like, this stuff is just going to emerge organically from society, and there will be false flags that are done, but, like, you kind of just would expect that would happen. Like, that's just... Like, you know, you look at what happened in Syria, right? Like, there were false flag operations, but it kind of everybody was doing them. It's it's yeah. a, it's just a, it's an aspect of what happens in this kind of chaos. Well, th this isn't even a hypothetical. So in, in Arizona uh, yesterday, there was a shooting at like a immigrant refugee, like nonprofit. Like that was yesterday. I don't know anything about this other than the timing of it. But I wonder if it wasn't like spun off of a, Oh shit, you know, some kind of like paranoid emergent narrative with an underlying like race war thing. Yeah, I mean we also saw someone randomly shooting into a crowd in Detroit that killed they killed someone. So Yeah. Right, right. And unlike there's so much chaos, it's like when this happened when this was happening in the Carolinas, um and the right wingers did that, it was totally clear who the enemy was. It was like we didn't shut up about it, like you know, everybody knows about Heather Heyer, but I don't think we're going to learn anything about this because of the nature of the chaos going on. Rounding up thoughts, anybody, anybody have anything to say that we haven't said? We'll just yep. say the situation is highly conjunctural at this point. <laughs> oh, no, no, good. Oh, good. Uh, just, just that was very, that's a very helpful thing shit. to say. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's Althusserian. Oh God damn it! Yeah, yeah, okay. no, that's Thank right. Thank you. That was, that was very helpful. That's a very helpful contribution. That that was that was a joke. If if Shane was here, he'd talk what about rhizomes. Know? He'd talk about rhizomes. That's what Shane would do. <laughs> you think they would? I I, I I don't know. I I okay. So here's the thing. This has been a very like slow and continuous burn leading up to where we are now. So I don't know how many of us are actually shocked by what's going on. Right. I'm not. Yeah. I am not. I it interacts with our discussions of revolutionary strategy and that this is why Marxists have become attracted to Bakunin's political positions is that riots exist in real life sometimes. <laughs> and most of the things Marxian strategy relies on don't right now. Like Marxists have found these social tantrums to be the only social activity that really goes on in their lives, period. And so 
are trying to think about what out of a situation like this could it possibly mean to be a communist? That's why I think you have people that are like thinking of themselves as Marxists in methodologically or like conceptually significant ways that don't end up with Marxian conclusions on the left. Now, the whole Marxist tradition is a, is a lot of Lasallian stuff. So it's, the word is already being abused. But if you, if you object to, you know, like a Marxist with Bakuninist politics, essentially, you know, you have to admit, at least it's being bent, you know, leftward in a revolutionary direction instead of like towards the state. Burn it all down. Like, I, th- I think it's an acceptable, like, w- way of looking at things as a Marxist, even if I don't, I, you know, I don't buy, like, all of it, but, like, how can you not be sympathetic? Like, if someone, mm. somebody with no theory that is just driven by a vague sense of justice can look at this and make the right call. Yeah, it's inspiring, like, really. It's like watching Slave Revolt or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's inspiring. Derek, I've been saying this shit's been coming and you've been... Uh, you've been saying no. Well, fuck you, Derek. Fuck you. <laughs> what? <laughs> Tom. Tom has an empirical prediction over me for once, so he's right. I'm gonna give him that. that Wait, nice. you see now, MMT will come in. Rate of profit gonna go up. <laughs> I am joking there. I'm not. I never. That's not my critique. But uh... no, but you. you... I thought sometimes my Frankfurt School tendencies kick in and just think social dominion is so overwhelming that people are just going to take it because they have. Yeah, and it's really fundamental for us to understand that the like the Frankfurt stuff is written post the failures, and it's like you know it's like being a when I'm when a poker player like trying to play properly after you mess up and lose a load of money in a hand. Mm-hmm you're going to analyze shit wrong and you're going to lose more money. And I think there is a big, it's an, it's inevitable. They will have influence at those historical pieces in time. Cause everybody be thinking, Oh, they're right. They're right. But we've got to, you know, the, the crises are going to keep coming. And all we can hope for is that the, this is, this is probably not the one, but like with more and more people becoming socialist or communist aware that things will emerge like we're a long way now, Derek, from the first time you're on the show. We're talking about Occupy. Yeah, we are. I mean, we we have been in this for what? I mean, we didn't see like the the fact that there is a left wing grift industry, as much as I hate it, is actually a good sign because no one would have ever thought to grift left wing before 2012. You would have just lost money. There was nobody. How many like Marxist podcasts? Like mine was only getting into it. Doug was into it a little bit. Was that it? There was Pacifica Radio podcasts that were Marxist adjacent, Seeing Red Radio, which didn't survive, and the ISO used to post its conferences as a podcast whenever they would do them. And, like, it was Doug and me, and that was it. Yeah. And now there's probably a thousand. Well, more. I guess one positive thing I can say about the situation is that we are seeing widespread disorganization and degeneration in all sectors of society. The people who are going to profit or thrive or even just get by in this kind of situation are the ones who are organized. So there's some value to, you know, trying to 
find ways to be more organized. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it's not completely without opportunity for us. It's just, it's dire. It's, it's a bad situation, but there are going to be openings. As much as this is a symptom of, of a really terrible societal degeneration, like, you know, people have been talking about the gains won through the riots. And it's like, well, those are real. There will be opportunities for more such gains. It's not completely hopeless. It's mm. just going to be, it's going to be a hell of a ride. Yeah. The question for Enduring Hope is, you know, part of what makes... Enduring Hope. Is that like the military's name for their assault? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just, I'm just Lasallianizing everything. I'm translating it to terms we can all understand. Um, so when I was talking about, you know, Marxist adopting Bakuninist kind of conclusions and stuff like that, you know, what does it mean to kind of object to that, even though it has such empirical resonance? It's that there has to still be like forms of organization that are, that are helpful you know, or potentially that could be helpful that like can come out of them. It's probably not even things that we can build ourselves necessarily, but like what could there be anything that lives, that outlives the actual unsustainable, you know, social tantrum and can continue to apply some kind of not comparable force, but, you know, to hold the torch in any meaningful sense at all. Like, that isn't just a grift. Yeah, right. we're not. That just isn't just a grift. That isn't pushed out by the grift. How do you prevent that dynamic from forming? How how do you stop the rent cartel market from forming? Like barracks radical response to that. Barracks communism. You heard it here first. I've got a question for <laughs> Kyle. I've, oh, I've, I've is got... that it? That's all it's going to get is barracks communism and move on. <laughs> Because I think this is a good question. I, I, no, I, I think, think, only, I think it's the only Marxist, Marxist organizing question. If you're not going to give in completely to Bakunin and just be like, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. Even Bakunin believed in like conspiracies and stuff. You could like influence a crowd or something. Do we have anything to say? <laughs> like maybe no, if you just have a little, like a little, you know, socialist conspiracy cult that tries to, you know, manipulate the riot, you know, like, is that it? Is that, is that all we got? The profits are running out of time. That's where I'm at. We've run out of time. We we needed the Bernie movement, but we also squandered so much effort on it. And like, I don't really know how to reconcile that because I agree with Tom. We needed it, but we also like, we didn't build these other organizations. We didn't. Is is Bernie going to be like Louis Blanc and betray us all? He kind of already has. Yeah, he already he already betrayed us. Yeah. He already yeah. And and he's still and he's still decent in a number of ways, but yeah, I mean, if if we're taking the hard line, the hard line on the Lasallian strategy that Derek was talking about earlier, these people are traitors, and yeah, of course Bernie's a traitor. Like Bernie can't even buck the party. So I have a question for Kyle here. Kyle, you're you like to make role playing games and design them. What mm -hmm. name would you give this one if it was one of your games? <laughs> 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 Well, I've, I've never been much of a marketer, Tom. <laughs> I'll have to get back to you on that one. That's 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 a tough question to get to get uh, on the spot. Escape, escape from Minneapolis, murder fest, weekend with Bernie. I don't know. Well, come no. on, we gotta have something. <laughs> Tom, 
I mean, you know, like Escape from Minneapolis, like that Escape series came out of like the fever dreams of the 80s. And we're just not in that position right now. Like, it, it's a different situation. How about uh, Me 3? Yeah, after Me Too movement failed. I'm, I'm concerned, Tom. I'm, con- yeah. I'm I'm not mad. I'm just concerned. I feel <laughs> like the boomer, the boomer is starting to reach your brain. <laughs> uh, it's reached us all. I spent all day yesterday editing two episodes. Yeah. Well, uh, I have Barbie girl stuck in my head, so you have to live with something. I'm a Barbie girl with a Barbie world. I mean, yeah, it's it's infectious. Imagination is <laughs> <It's> your creation. That's <laughs> good. Good night. Hey now, hey now. Yeah, I remember. I went. Uh, I cycled across Europe one summer, and when we were cycling through Germany, they had this song. I don't know if anybody remembers this one called. Blue, I am blue, I am blue. Oh, who could yeah. forget? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. And we were in Germany, right? And, you know, before we had mobile phones, I mean, no, no idea what was going on in the rest of the world. And we're like going, that fucking blue song. We're saying, only in Germany could that be a fucking popular song. And we came back like to Ireland then, like three months later, and it was like number one for 14 weeks straight. I have a in prefigured Gangnam style, as yeah, yeah. You know. That's harsh on Gangnam style now. Come on, I am blue, I am blue, I am blue. <laughs> That's the fucking lyric. I was going to say, Gardner was actually really funny if you speak. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. That was actually social satire. That yeah. time, the, the, the farce did, 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 or was it not tragedy, or sorry, it was not farce following tragedy. Also, also a Barbie girl had some social satire to it, and it was the subject of a lawsuit, which is kind of yeah. fascinating. On this episode, you heard the theme tune, The Order of the Phronic Jesters, and Night of the Purple Moon by Sun Ra and his orchestra. The artwork for the show was created by the Korean artist and author of the 2019 Marx Engels illustration book. You can check out links to his work and Twitter account in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and please join me for the next episode of From Alpha to Omega. This show is a member of the Emancipation Network, a Marxist podcast research collective. Make sure to check out our network sister podcasts, General Intellect Unit, Jumpsuit Utopia, Mortal Science and Swampside Chats.